All right, everyone, welcome to Sports Entertainment Spectator with Keegan Dimitrovic and Sammy Kalaf. And today we're going to talk about the uh, the famous and infamous WrestleMania 20. Um, this is a this was a, one of the all time great cards, even though it had a lot of filler. Um, the great moments produced, and that's what this um, this that's what this huge event was all about. Um, I know a lot of people, you're probably already talking about the main event, but we're going to get to that a little bit later because we're going to discuss uh, some stuff prior to that main event and uh, some other stuff we would have changed differently about this WrestleMania as well. Even though this WrestleMania was a great WrestleMania, there's uh, there was a few tweaks that really could have been made that could have made it an all-time great WrestleMania, such as WrestleMania 17 or 19 or 23 or 24, which are some of the best uh, manias ever. So let's start quickly. We we don't we don't gotta go into this one too in depth, but let's start with John Cena and the Big Show for the for the U.S. title, which opened up this Mania card, and this is really where uh, John Cena's singles career took off. Yeah. Um. So basically, in this match, I mean, yeah. of course, like the in ring, I mean, inside the ring wasn't really what we expected, but yeah. this match, this match really took off for John Cena's career because like when he first won the United States title I, I, I believe that title was the one that elevated him all, all the way to superstardom so this match against the big show here really cemented his status as as like a big time player because like fans actually when we were watching at the time they were just saying like wow this guy could really be the face of the WWE so so that's how this match and that's how this match worked for him because I mean you know the thing about John Cena is that the, the one thing people don't really like don't really like acknowledge about him is that he can put on good matches mm-hmm. and that's the reason why he brought in the US title open challenge almost like like 10 years later yeah. to help elevate the US title even more because I mean, to me, John Cena is probably the greatest United States champion of all time because he really built prestige in that championship by defending it against up-and-coming rising stars. Even during even during this era, this was ruthless aggression, right? Yeah. Like 2004, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, 2004. So, yeah. So basically, he defended the title against the likes of like Carlito and Booker T, which really helped their careers as well. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, back to the match. I mean, this this really like took this really strapped the rocket to John Cena. Yeah. So, it, yeah, and it didn't need to be a good match. Like a lot of people kind of get into the the aura of like, oh, well, you know, that it wasn't a good match, but this match didn't need to be a classic match to kind of put Cena over. And I also wanted to say Big Show is one of the most underrated guys at putting other people over as well. He always did the job when the job was right. And, uh, you know, he made John Cena look awesome in this match. And John Cena made Big Show look like a real contender. Even though the match didn't need to be a great match. But it was a good way to open the show. The crowd was super The crowd was super uh, hot for Cena. And uh, like you said about John Cena's U.S. Open Challenge, the other thing I wanted to add too is he made the U.S. title feel like the main title in that company. Yeah, so like more props built, to him. He, he built a lot of prestige in the championship as well because you would have all these up and coming guys wanting to challenge him for the title, and he would end up putting on really good matches with them and putting them over. And that's something like 
Actually, that's another guy that's underrated about putting guys over, John Cena. Mm -hmm. And actually, a guy I would like to see Cena put over one day is Velveteen Dream. But that's a little bit off topic here. But, um, but um, yeah. So, yeah, and then the other thing I was going to add, too, hey, we're going to skip the uh, the World Tag Title match because there's really not much to talk about with it. Um, but I want to jump to Christian and Chris Jericho in their singles match. I thought this was a match that really gets overlooked um, for how decent it, it was, especially for a WrestleMania yeah. match. Uh, the storytelling, I didn't really care for the Trish stuff in the storyline, but I still thought they, you know, anytime you have Jericho and Christian in one singles match, you know it's going to be either above average to great. So depending on uh like where where it is on the card, but this was a really good like three and a half star match with you know Christian shockingly getting the win. I think a lot of people at the time probably thought Jericho would get the win, especially because the company was never really big on Christian as a main event star. So to get a win over Jericho here showed promise, but ultimately it kind of led to nothing. You know, but whatever. Yeah. yeah, Christian's one of those guys where. I mean, I would have to say that Christian's one of the most underrated guys in the history of all of wrestling because he was the guy who got overlooked after after the team with him and Edge broke up. I mean, they were great as a tag team. Don't get me wrong about that. But the thing about Christian, they kind of overlooked him too much, and that's why his world title reigns were short because they favored so many other guys, and he wasn't really a main priority at the time. So... That's pretty much why he never really got a full, lengthy world title run. Yeah, and it's it's too bad because I feel like in 2005, the year after this WrestleMania 20 match, he could have easily taken the, the WWE title off John Cena. And I think he should have been the one to have beat John Cena for the WWE Championship because Christian was insanely over in mid-2005. In mid and I and I really think he, like I said, he should have been the one to take the title off John Cena. But also, too, I want to talk a little bit, a little bit about Chris Jericho here. Um, this is kind of where Chris Jericho was in, was in like a midlife crisis in in WWE. He was kind of, I I don't want to say I don't want to say stale here, but he was kind of drifting off, especially with the face turn as well, because in two thousand four you didn't really hear much of Jericho. Because he was kind of kept in the upper mid card, whereas guys like Triple H and uh, Randy Orton dominated the main event scene. So, yeah. um, but uh, Chris Jericho ultimately a year and a half later would actually uh, leave the company after SummerSlam 2005 and would come back in 2007 better than ever. So that's the most important thing from that match. It was a pretty underrated match though, probably one of the more underrated matches in uh, WrestleMania history. But the match after that is Evolution in the form of Batista, Randy Orton, and Ric Flair against the Rock and Sock Connection. Which, granted, it was a fun match, but this isn't what I would have booked for WrestleMania 20. No, um, this match could have been something for, let's say, Backlash, for example, later that year. Yep. Or, actually, this match was fun, like you said, but it's not a WrestleMania-worthy type match. But don't get me wrong, The Rock came back, and everyone loves The Rock, right? Yep. But the thing is, like, this match could have been saved for another time, and it shouldn't have been on the card at all. But we're not discrediting how it was portrayed and, like, it's spot on the card, but we're just saying like it could have been, it could have been placed on another show to help like draw more people and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. WrestleMania was just not the place for it. Well, here's what I would, here's what I would have done, and a lot of people will probably disagree with me on this, but 
I would have had Mick Foley and Randy Orton's match at Backlash take place here. Because I think it was big enough for WrestleMania. So yeah. I would have had that at WrestleMania 20. And I would have had The Rock face Ric Flair. Because The Rock and Ric Flair is one of those generational dream matches. And I think for the 20th anniversary of WrestleMania, it would have been very fitting. And it also would have been fresh because one, Rock and uh, Rick never really did a lot together. And second, Rick also, this was Rick's third WrestleMania appearance at the time, which is shocking. So it would have been fresh. And plus, Rick could still go. When needed, when need be, Rick could still put on a good match around this time. And I feel like Rick would have been motivated to have worked with Rock and vice versa. So I would have done Rock and Ric Flair. And I would have done the same hardcore match that Foley and Orton had. Yeah, for this I actually part. really enjoyed the hardcore match between Foley and Orton. I, I thought it could have fit perfectly on this WrestleMania card. It could have been like, actually a year later, you had Edge and Mick Foley at WrestleMania. So you had two back-to-back hardcore matches for Foley at two consecutive WrestleManias. But it's very fitting because you had the biggest show of the year. And Mick Foley's on the card, right? Yep. That's when you know you're going to see a good hardcore match. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I believe Foley is in the top 20 best wrestlers in WWE history. Because not many people talk about Foley as one of the greatest of all time. But, like, I mean, it might be a little bit off topic here. But, like, he's he might be the greatest hardcore wrestler of all time. He's one of the best ever in my book. I think in WWE you can even... If we're talking strictly WWE, you could probably even put him in the top 10 in terms no, of like in significance. W- in WWE, I believe he's the best, the best. And actually, he can even compare to the likes of Bruiser Brody or like guys like Tomohiro Ishii yeah. as like the best brawlers of all time. Oh, definitely. Know? Definitely, man. And and that's the thing. And in the Ruthless Aggression era, they did utilize Foley like well for putting over other guys. But like... As as like I said, as fun as this match was at WrestleMania twenty, it to me it screamed backlash. Like you said, like if if they could have convinced The Rock to have done one more show, this would have been good for after uh, after WrestleMania. But you know, Foley and Orton would have been perfect for this card, and Rock and Rick would have been perfect because uh, you know they're two big two of the biggest names in WWE history. And putting it, it I think it could have got like a Rock and Hogan reception. If done properly. Yeah. And it wouldn't have even had to. It probably still would have been a good match. But it wouldn't have had to have been a good match. And it would have been perfect for the 20th anniversary. No, because you have like. it. Both guys would be over with the audience anyway. And you yeah. still get the same reception. Like in the Sky Dome with Rock and Hogan. But you're in a much smaller arena here with Madison Square Garden. But you still would have gotten a very, very good reaction. Yep. I agree. And like on to the next stuff, like I'm I'm going to skip the Playboy evening gal match because it's just it's worthless to talk about. But I want to talk about this Very cruiser. Worthless. But I want to talk about this cruiserweight open because I'm not going to talk about the entire match. But, you know, here here's what I would have done. Rey Mysterio, Ultimo Dragon, cruiserweight title, 20 minutes. That, that's Ultimo Dragon. You know, the thing that's about just what Ultimo Dragon, like you might you might not know this, but like. If Ultimo Dragon wasn't so injury-plagued at this time, he would have been a top star in WWE. They were certainly Actually, positioning him like that. Yeah, and thing is, if you were to got, if you were to get Rey Mysterio versus Ultimo Dragon here for the Cruiserweight title, it could have been one of the best matches in WrestleMania history because you have both these legends who have who have had some meetings. Well, 
actually they've never faced one-on-one but like both of their careers coming from japan and wcw and they're finally meeting in wwe and you know it's the match like this is going to be one you're going to be talking about for a really long time so yeah well, that's yeah. The- yeah, well man they also had a great match at world war three in 96 they had a oh really, yeah 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 I forgot it, about that yeah. like, they, they had that yeah. one meeting which yeah. was World War Three yeah and it was and, really good yeah it was still a good match too like I apologize for that no like, no yeah. no no worries I just thought you meant like the first time they met in WWE which this would have been pretty yeah, much th- the first this time this would have been the first time they met in WWE but I said something about well they never had a match one on one but then I yeah. remembered yeah World War Three was yeah, the yeah. one time they faced off where Dragon had all the belts on him. It was some belts from NWA or, like, New Japan yeah. and all, all those belts, yeah. The, dude, it would have been perfect for WrestleMania to book Dragon and Mysterio for the Cruiserweight title. It just would have worked so well. It would have gave significance to the Cruiserweight title. It would have been a great match. And also, too, it, it probably would have put over Ray in a big way. Because I would have had Dragon enter this Mania as champion if he wasn't so injury-plagued. Because him and... I think Dragon and Ray could have easily been two top draws for the Cruiserweight division. For like and the yet following he's year. still, and yet he's still a good wrestler today. Even though he he like strictly wrestles for Dragon Gate now, I believe. But he yeah. does some indie promotions. But you don't really hear much of him anymore since he's with Dragon Gate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he still has it for. I mean, for, for I mean, for fifty three years old. Yeah. You know, he can still go. He's kind of like Jushin Liger. Like, it doesn't matter what age he's at. He can still go to some extent. And I feel like because he was still younger in 2004 and Ray was upstart, it just would have been such a good match to have done. And, like, I, I don't know. Like, they kind of never treated the Cruiserweight title like a main title. The only time they ever did was when Paul Heyman was writing SmackDown in 2003. But other than that, it just kind of felt like nothing. And speaking of nothing, we had Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. Which, that um, match was one of the worst matches in the history of WrestleMania. Both both guys were leaving WWE the next night, and the fans showed them the door, and they wanted them to have it. So it's the, man, it, it's it's the match everyone wanted until it happened, and then everyone was like, "Oh man, it, it was a bad match." I mean, I've watched it, and it's just terrible. You know, it was it was bad. It's too bad because I think Goldberg and Brock could have been a huge draw of a match and it just didn't draw and but let me I'm, I'm gonna do a little fantasy booking for one second here so here's what I would have done and a lot of people will probably think oh you're an idiot for this but but whatever okay I would have had Goldberg face Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series in a champion versus champion match in 2003 Brock would have been the WWE champion and Goldberg would have been the world heavyweight champion that's where I would have done this match because that way, nobody's leaving, and people care. And Goldberg can yeah, still win, you know, whatever. Goldberg can still win, and actually, go ahead. Yeah. And if both guys weren't leaving at the time, and you were to have a champion versus champion match, they would have gotten a little, they would have gotten a bit better of a reception, and it could have been a huge drawing match for Survivor Series at that time. And no special guest referee, just a normal special guest referee because Stone Cold Steve Austin made the whole match. Like, he was the star star of that one match at WrestleMania 20 and not Goldberg or Lesnar. But anyway, so I felt like Survivor Series could have needed that match. Like... Survivor Series 2003, like, I felt like he could have needed that big of a drawing match 
considering you, you got both of the biggest stars in the company at that time, and you have the world heavyweight champion facing the undisputed WWE champion. Yeah, and they're not going anywhere yet. No, they're not. They're not. Um, and I felt like it would have been both guys would have would have been more motivated, and it would have been a better match than it was at WrestleMania 20. Because if they if they did that, then I felt like, I mean. You could honestly call it one of the best matches in the history of Survivor Series. I agree. And this is what I would have done uh, for for them at WrestleMania 20. Goldberg would have lost to The Undertaker. Because I would have had Goldberg pretty much go undefeated in WWE. Except he would drop the World Heavyweight title, but he wouldn't get pinned for that. So Goldberg would not have a pinfall loss in the company. So Goldberg and Undertaker would go streak, streak versus streak at WrestleMania 20. And it's not a long match, but it serves the purpose. And what happens for Brock Lesnar is we have two world title triple threat matches. We have Benoit, Triple H, and Shawn in the main event, and then Eddie Guerrero, Brock Lesnar, and Kurt Angle. And then that way, the crowd's all for Eddie Guerrero. And then Eddie Guerrero pins, you protect Kurt Angle. Eddie Guerrero pins Brock Lesnar with the frog splash. One, two, three, Brock Lesnar disappears. And then it leads to a big Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle feud after WrestleMania. You know, actually, Brock. Actually, the thing about Brock, he works. He works better with guys like Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Like you know, actually, much smaller guys. But like the thing is with him versus the likes of, let's say, for example, Big Show or like Goldberg or like Braun Strowman, it's not going to be a good match. No. But the thing is, he works better with smaller and like more agile and quicker guys. Yeah. Like AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle when Kurt Angle was in his prime. Yeah. So he had the better matches back then and still today with guys like that. Because mm-hmm. when Brock is more, when Brock is motivated enough, you know it's going to be a really good match. Yeah. Considering if you have him match up the guys like Kurt Angle, like both men are just like technicians in the ring and they could really give you a they could really give you a clinic. Yeah. I also think Guerrero, a Guerrero Angle and Lesnar triple threat would have been a freaking classic. Yeah. I, it would have been. Yeah. One of the best matches of two thousand four, I'd say, next to Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, um like the what was that other that the the rematch at Vengeance. Yeah, the, oh yeah, no um, five, yeah. Yeah, um, and the main event at WrestleMania 20, it was, a, I, th- I think the WrestleMania 20 main event was the best match in 2004, personally. I think it, I think it's the best triple threat match ever, but, like, I mean, we're going to get well, to that. Well, yeah, you have that match, and you also have The Rock, The Undertaker, and Kurt Angle for the World Heavy, n- not the World Heavy, the WCW World Heavyweight title at Vengeance 2002? Yeah, 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 for the and, Undisputed, yeah. Yeah, so those are your top two best triple threat matches of all time right yeah. there. So best triple threat match of all time, I got to give it to the main event, personally. Yeah. yeah, and like, well, let's face it, Goldberg and Lesnar was not the best WrestleMania match of all time. But I think Goldberg, like I said, Goldberg and Undertaker would have been good for the 20th anniversary, streak versus streak. And then add Lesnar to Guerrero and Angle, you got another great triple threat right there. Yeah. Um, and then let, let's get to actually the Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle match. Uh, I thought, I loved it, dude. I thought it was a great match. This was this was one actually. This is one of the most underrated WrestleMania matches of all time. I must say because you have classic Eddie Guerrero here. You also have classic Kurt Angle, where Eddie pulls out like the lying, cheating, and stealing tactic, which everybody loved, including me. 
I yeah. sure wish Eddie was still around today. And I would have loved to meet him too yep. and just talk about all the matches he had. Mm-hmm. And probably Eddie Guerrero is one of the best high flyers of all time. He's and, one of the best all round ever, I think, definitely. Yeah. I wish I could have met Eddie personally. And I want to meet Kurt Angle one day too. And the thing is... I want to ask Kurt Angle one day, what was it like working with Eddie Guerrero? Because the match here, actually, it had a, it had a spark in it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it brought the best out of both guys. And, and it was a great story leading up to it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Considering you had Eddie's long road to becoming WWE champion and Kurt Angle wants to come in and ruin it all. It's like the classic villain type thing in wrestling. Yep. And you have the classic face versus heel match, like good guy and bad guy thing. Yep. And I felt like both of these guys worked with each other so well mm-hmm. that they're like, like I said before, there there was a spark in this match that kind of that kind of stuck out to me. That Kurt Angle, like, I mean, Kurt Angle is one of the best all around. Like, yeah. like don't get me wrong on that, but like. This match was probably the second best match of, of WrestleMania 20, and yeah. I must say one of the best matches in WrestleMania history, probably top 20 yeah. at least. It was it was great, pure wrestling. And I remember I was looking at reviews for this match, and there was people disappointed in this match. And I'm like, this match was like, I don't know what else you would have wanted. I thought this no, match was it, fantastic. The, the story, yeah, the story was right there. And, of course, to the fans right here, right now, you can't expect a million flips, flippy flops and just a million super kicks or Spanish flies it's, like you see today. It's because not, this was yeah. yeah, this was pure wrestling right here. Yeah. And it was a great story, too. So what else could you want? It, 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 yeah. it was really good old school wrestling. It was old yeah. school wrestling, and I love I love the old school mat based wrestling style, and and that's what they did here, and it was such a really good match. Everything was done really smoothly. Even the finish was done really smoothly too, and it was it was a phenomenal match, dude. It, it's at least in the four and a half star region. Yeah, and yeah. the thing that I said after this match, well, actually, when I was watching it for the first time, I'm like. I am very, very surprised these two never faced off one-on-one again after that. It was actually, like, I didn't start watching the whole—I didn't start watching wrestling until 2013. Like, you started watching, like, way earlier. But, like, the thing is, like, the thing that kind of stuck out to me was, like, I'm really surprised these two never went one-on-one again after that. They did. They did. Yeah, at, yeah. S- at SummerSlam 2004, they had a really good match again, uh, where Eddie Guerrero sold the ankle the entire match, and then they also had one in uh, April of 2005, not too long after WrestleMania 21, that got that actually received a, a four and a quarter star rating on SmackDown. So, yeah, so they had yeah. two more after. It's just they don't go as recognized as this one. Yeah, considering like I might have to find those actually because consi- when I watch the WrestleMania 20 match, I'm like I gotta have more of this, so I'll be sure to check those out. Considering you've been watching longer than me, and like yep. I might even uh, I don't even know this match exists. <laughs> oh, dude, dude! If you watch the yeah. one at SummerSlam 2004, um, it it it's a really good match. I gave it four stars, but it depends on somebody's taste because it went uh, it went about 12 minutes. But the thing is, it was really... Dude, do you remember how one-sided the Benoit RVD match was at SummerSlam 2002? But it was like a really good story. 
with it. That's kind of like how this match is. Like, Kurt Angle just keeps working over the ankle. And it's it's great storytelling and it's great psychology. I, I love the match personally. And they did something way different than, than they did at Mania 20. So they they kept doing new stuff. So yeah, they, they had at least two singles matches televised after this. And they also had a Lumberjack match too on SmackDown. But that one's kind of... That one's kind of under the radar, too, because it was yeah. more of an angle, like no pun intended. But, um, yeah, actually, Kurt actually reported on that match. He was talking about that Lumberjack match, and he actually kept calling the back uh, via the referee to keep stopping the match because he said, like, Eddie Guerrero's body was just, like, declining really bad in that match, and he couldn't move. So Kurt actually tried to stop that match, I think, on three different occasions. Because he said Eddie Guerrero couldn't move out there in in that lumberjack match, so yeah. I thought that like, was kind of different to hear. But the thing with me is that the Angle and Benoit rivalry to me is more recognizable than Angle versus Guerrero because I never really got to see their other matches. Yeah, like Guerrero and Angle, because yeah. considering Angle and Benoit had more matches and the entire rivalry is more recognized, considering yeah. th- those two like. Angle's best matches were with Benoit, and Benoit's best matches were with Angle. So I kind of find that to be more recognizable, but I still have to find those other matches with Guerrero and Angle. Oh, definitely. I'll I'll give you the uh, dates for them too, and everything, and I'll and I'll send them to you. They're the you won't you won't be disappointed. Um, and also too, uh, we get to Undertaker and Kane, and this is Matt. This match is more of a segment to me. Um. It was a squash match. Yeah, and it, I mean, I, I heard a lot of people say this match sucked, but I can't say that it was really a match in general. Like, they did some okay stuff, but, like, you... No, you just... They just... The, the whole point of that is that, like, okay, the dead man is back, and he just, boom, goodbye, Kane. Yeah, I, they... I don't know. They made... In a lot of points in this story, they kind of made Kane look weak, and I didn't really like that because... Um, you know, Kane's supposed to be the the kryptonite of the Undertaker here, and it just didn't it didn't really pan out. Can I say though, Kane's psychology in this match was really good. Yeah. But but the match itself, I can't. I have a hard time rating it because it was more of just welcome back, Undertaker. So I found their yeah. WrestleMania 14 match to be better than this one because it's the first time they've ever faced off, and both guys are more motivated than this one. Because this moment was like, okay, the Dead Man Undertaker's back, like I said, and you're you're just gonna have him send away Kane for a bit, and there you go. So the the thing that compares to their WrestleMania 14 match is that this match doesn't really compare to it because they told better storytelling in the WrestleMania 14 match. Yeah. Like, I honestly think their best match was their Inferno match, and that's and that's saying something. I this thought was, oh, it was their best match. This was 1998. 1998, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was an Inferno match where Taker, like, dove over the fire. It was actually a really good spot. Um, but that was, like... And that match wasn't even that bad, but it, I'm kind of sad that Taker and Kane never had that one great match together. And they never did. They never had that one really good match together. And honestly, like, Taker was in great shape here in Mania 20, and I think if they would have honestly put together a real match it could have panned out it really could have panned out but they just didn't really do it 
and kind of Kane after this kind of dwindled and next thing you know he's married to Lita and he's feuding with Edge in a feud over Lita and it's just like I don't know it just never worked like Kane after he unmasked really fell down in terms of significance which sucked and I I wish they would have remasked him again like a lot earlier but like that's also for another storyline that I I wrote earlier but Kane Kane definitely in this match like was not a threat Kane's, so, su- Kane's supposed to be a guy who is supposed to be booked like a monster, for example, like kind of like The Undertaker, because yeah, both, like, I mean, that's who Kane's supposed to be. Yep. J- just that. Yeah, he's he, he should have been The Undertaker of Raw. That's really what he should have been. And they just never, they never went that route. Like, I ultimately, I think he should have stayed masked. Yeah, personally, I would have never un- unmasked him, and he would have been, like, the top star on Raw while The Undertaker was on SmackDown yeah. during the time. Yeah, he would have been... I would have booked him exactly like how Undertaker was booked in the Ruthless Aggression Era, where he was in top feuds kind of all the time and targeted each guy, whether babyface or heel. And he, um, you know, and he did that as Mask Kane, and that's ultimately... What I would have done. You know what? If you want to watch a really underrated banger of a match at Kane's, watch, if you haven't seen it, and, and this goes for anybody too, watch Kane and Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 18. It's quite a quite an underrated quite an underrated match that a lot of people don't talk about. It's probably because yeah. it's, it's probably because Kurt Angle's had so many that you know people just kind of forgot about it. But it was it was really underrated. I, I, I liked that match. I did too. Like, I thought it was very underrated. Yeah. It was good counters too. And, that's when you know Kurt Angle can work with guys no matter the size. Like, yeah, Kurt, Kurt Angle was that wrestler who could work with basically anybody. If you were to throw him with Yokozuna, like, then that, that would have worked too. Definitely. And and it's too bad because Kane, nobody really remembers Kane for great matches. But he has had some good ones that a lot of people don't talk about. And I'll give you another one of Kane's. Uh, he had a chain match with Triple H. Believe yeah. it, I believe it was at Judgment. I think it was Judgment Day 2000. It was pretty underrated, yeah. man, especially for a chain match. Like, it, it was I up, thought, yeah. Yeah, like so, it was up there with the Fiend and Dan O'Brien strap match. Yeah, it's up there because yeah. I thought the chain match was pretty good. I thought so like, too. And the thing about Kane, I thought his best match personally was TLC4. He had to defend the world tag team titles all yeah, by himself. on Raw. I love that match, dude. I love that match. It's too bad it didn't go on pay-per-view because nobody really talks about it. But it was really it good. Would have been perfect for pay-per-view. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, dude. It would have been perfect for like Unforgiven 02. Yeah, and another match for Kane would have to be that unification match between him and Triple H for both the Intercontinental and the world heavyweight well, the, yeah. the, the world heavyweight title yeah, no yeah. mercy no mercy yeah that was a good match too and, and and kane never gets talked about man no never because like most people don't remember kane for good matches they normally remember him for his size and like the like Character the top work, 10 yeah. lists yeah. people put him in as the greatest big men in history and kane's there but you 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 also have to you also have to remember that Kane's character is iconic. It's definitely one of the better ones and has lasted the longest. Yeah, and also, going back to what you said on 
Kane and the Undertaker being booked the same on different brands in the later years, I would have had I would have had them cross paths again for a better match, and that could have been their best match together, and it could have been Kane's best match too. Yeah, I mean, if they would have done the brand supremacy stuff, they could have done it at Survivor Series, easily. Yeah, easily. Like, and I wish they would have. That's the one thing I wish they would have done more in the ruthless aggression era was more champion versus champion matches. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, it's a little off topic, but I feel like a JBL and Triple H program as WWE versus World Heavyweight Champion would have been fun. Because we saw like a little bit of their segments like backstage, and they were pretty good on cross branded pay-per-views. JBL was a great worker in the ring, so not not many people give him enough credit for that, but no, he's don't. going to the Hall of Fame this year, and he deserves it. He was that worker who could, and one of the best clotheslines I've ever seen, all right? You can compare that to Stan Hansen's Lariat. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's too bad, because a JBL and Triple H program in the lead-up to Survivor Series would have been so much fun. Yeah, the, the two would have worked well with each other. Like, it could have been a really fun match. It, it, and it really could have been. JBL yeah. is that he, he's one of the best heel champions of all time, and he was a way better heel champion than Jinder Mahal. Oh, dude, it's not even a comparison. No, not even close. Not even close. JB, but at least JBL could have a good match when need be. And also, too, JBL was a way better promo. JBL was better character, and JBL was yeah. a character that you love to hate, and you wanted to see him get his ass kicked all the time. And that's exactly yeah. what you need as a heel. He wasn't go away yeah. heat. He was like, I want to see you get your ass kicked, kind of heat, you know. And yeah, because that's, that's not what you see with most heels today. I mean, like you just have some heels who have like the go away heat. For for example, Baron Corbin. All right, he's the guy who today comes close to the same character JBL was. Meanwhile, you have all these different heels who get, like, mixed reactions. And cool the heel's heels. not supposed to get cheered. Yeah, and that's the thing. Time. And that's the thing. You know what? I got to give Baron Corbin credit, though, because he does get booed. And that's really what they what heels are supposed he's to be. The, yeah, he's the only heel today gets who booed. gets that go-away heat. Because even MJF gets cheered. Yeah, he does. You know, so, like, it's... It's really hard to be a heel in today's day and age, but man, JBL could have pulled it off in any era, and I got to give him props for that because yeah. JBL was so good at his job, and a lot of people will harp on me and say, well, you know, he was a bully and he did that. You know, I can't disclose what he did outside the character, but the character and the champion, fantastic worker, and I thought he was really entertaining too. Even Taker said like on the, on the Broken Skull sessions, like he used to have to bite his lip during JBL's promos. Because they were because they had fun working together, and yeah. stuff like that. So you know, props to JBL for that. But now we save time for this. It's time for that that epic main event that we always talk about. It's Chris Benoit versus Triple H versus Shawn Michaels in a triple threat match for the World Heavyweight Championship. And man, I could watch this match all day every day. Love it so much. And- I am not afraid to say the name Chris Benoit because this is the best main event in WrestleMania history. It really was because, like, the thing about this match, it was you're leading up the 18-year journey of Chris Benoit to the main event of WrestleMania winning the World Heavyweight Championship. And the thing about it is that he's had one-on-one matches with both guys, like, during his career. And I thought those matches were pretty good, too. But, like, here, the absolute storytelling was on spot here and the psychology was also on spot here because yep. like Chris Benoit really worked well with both guys and I actually this is an underrated fact I thought the blood was used well 
Sean Sean always used Bloodwell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Like, I thought I thought it was used well because it perfectly describes like the pain and just like the torture Benoit went through during the 18 year journey. Because I mean, not not many people talk about it. Like, I I just thought the blood was used per- perfectly for that. Because like, you know, when he when he had a Triple H in that crossface for about a couple minutes, right? And the blood was just draining down onto his hands and yeah. just from, and from Triple H's face. Cause like, mm-hmm. you can see like in his hands was the pain he went through for 18 consecutive years just for this moment. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And like, I might not be making any sense here, but that that's just, that, it's that's symbolic. Just it's symbolic, you know? So like, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. And I love the match. Um, it was, it never got boring ever. Um, they it was constant action with great storytelling. Uh, Sean did a great job in this match too. Um, Benoit was obviously the star of the match, but a lot of people will ignore uh, Triple H's contribution to the match. I thought Triple H did just as great a job as anybody. Um, yeah, just like normal heel would do. Because yeah. like, yeah, tri- everybody did well in this match. Even even Jim Ross. Oh, Jim J- Jim Ross's call at the end is probably the best call I've ever heard. And one I'm, of the best. I mean. The the point of Benoit getting Triple H into the crossface and Triple H trying to roll out of the crossface and Benoit did not let go. And Triple H tapped out, which is a great moment. But another great spot they did too was when Benoit had Triple H in the sharpshooter and Sean hit him with the sweet chin music. And then, yeah. ben, and then Benoit still kicked out. That was another great spot. But I want to talk about the ending because when Triple H tapped out, that arena blew up. Madison Square Garden blew up. Jim Ross made the greatest call he ever did. But the best part after was the Benoit Eddie Guerrero segment at the end. And I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, it's one of the best. Because, like, I mean, another symbolic moment would be that, like, um... Because, like, the ending, though, when he was in that crossface, yep. it it was, like, when he was in that crossface for a certain amount of time, like, he was trying to, like, roll out of it, and just, like, he just drags it to the center of the ring. It's also symbolic in every way, because Ben was like, no, I'm not letting this slip through my fingers again, because I've worked too hard for this, and I'm not letting up now. That was another great touch. Yeah, and that was the thing too. And I liked how, yeah, I liked how Jr. was like Benoit's not gonna, he's not gonna let go, you know. And he's ripping and tearing away, and then ding, there goes the bell. And it's just such a good moment, um, you know. That was real emotion too. And uh, you know, I would have paid to have seen what Gorilla was like when they all went through in the back, because I'm sure it was a really good, a really good ovation that they that all three guys got. Especially Benoit. Yeah. I wanted to see Vince's reaction to that match, but it's too bad we'll never hear it. No. Um, and the moment at the end with him and Eddie Guerrero, probably the best moment in WrestleMania history next to Daniel Bryan winning both titles. Yep. Um, there was an... Um, what other moment? Uh, Hogan slamming Andre. That was like, another big moment. I'm having, I'm having a brain freeze here. Um... <laughs> They're, they're, and Steve, been, Steamboat winning the Intercontinental title yep. and Macho Man beating Ric Flair. 
you have you have all these great moments and the Bret Hart Owen Hart match yeah at, Rock and Hogan you know like yeah, Rock Hogan yeah Austin and Rock the year before all the Rock you know, all of the Rock Austin matches and just Rollins cash in yeah there's just there's so many there's so many yeah. bro even Rock and Cena at twenty eight you know there there there's so many there's so Both. many things. And yeah, both Sean and Undertaker matches, but this might be the best moment. Yeah, the best moment of WrestleMania history to me is e- easily the Guerrero and Benoit sequence at the end. I thought that was cool. And I know we spoke about champion versus champion matches. Imagine if we could have got a Benoit Guerrero champion versus champion at Survivor Series of that year. Oh, that would have been, been because classic. Because ultimately, I don't think Benoit should have dropped the title to Randy Orton. I really don't. I think Benoit should have held the title a lot longer. Because um, Randy Orton was definitely not ready. And, uh, you know, Benoit's reign, I, to me, was like just getting started. Yeah. You know, and I, I they, they kind of they kind of cut it off. He did have that really good Iron Man match for Triple H on Raw, though. That yeah. they That they, I wish they would have put on pay-per-view. It would have been perfect for SummerSlam. Yeah, it, it was a really good match. And speaking of that, I saw the Kurt Angle Shawn Michaels Iron Man match the other day. And I'm like, this is one of the best matches in Raw history. But the Benoit and Triple H match, it it's pretty underrated in my opinion. It's it's because they can't talk about it. Like it's no. a, like, dude, it's a four and a half star match, but nobody will talk about it there because you know for reasons. Actually, and- one guy one guy came at me on Twitter yesterday. I posted something about the Benoit and Guerrero moment at WrestleMania, and yeah. he sent a gift saying, "This is mm, someone in this room is a murder." I'm like, man, man screw you. You like, keep so so <laughs> many people do that, man. Like yeah. with the Benoit stuff, it's like, oh, you know, s- screw you for for liking his match because he's a murderer. It's like. You know, people, they misinterpret everything, man. And it's not that I'm praising him as a person. You can still look at a Chris Benoit match. Like, if I'm watching Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit from the Royal Rumble 2003, and I post it on Twitter, and I'm like, man, this was a five-star classic. Benoit and Angle had the best chemistry ever together. There's still going to be that person who's like, oh, screw you. You watched a Benoit match. You know, Benoit's a murderer. You can still watch a Benoit match. Don't shame yourself for watching a Chris Benoit match. If you want to watch a great performance, watch Benoit and Angle from the Rumble of Three. Watch, you know, watch Benoit's main event win at WrestleMania 20. You know, watch watch so many matches. Watch Benoit and Shawn on Raw in February 2004. There's so much. There's so much stuff you can watch. You know, and people will say "screw you" because he's a murderer. Well, guess what? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, what happened happened apparently. But the thing is. You can still praise him as a performer. You can still watch as a performer. You don't have to limit yourself to that. If you really want to watch a match, you're not going to get arrested for watching a Chris Benoit match. Like, it's, you know, so many people will will judge that. You can't praise a performance anymore. You know, that's probably the reason why I think the tweet about the Benoit angle cage match didn't get so many likes because... I mean, of course, it's Chris Benoit, and people have got to understand, like, it's not like if you watch one of his matches, you're going to get arrested because from their perspective, you're, from their perspective, I'm supporting a murder. Like, it, that nothing like that is going to happen. You could still, like, 
the, the in-ring career of Benoit cannot be ignored. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. It cannot be ignored. He is in my top five, personal top five, one of the best professional re- professional wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling. He is up there with Kentuko Bashi, that's a Haruma Sawa, mm-hmm. Ricky Dozen, Luke Fez, Ric Flair, all of those guys. He is up there. Even Kurt Angle, and even one of even John Cena, Randy Orton, and all of those guys. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. He's better than most of the guys you just said. <laughs> yeah. He is. Like, Except for maybe also, two or three of the them. One factor, the one factor that he that counts is that he's better than everyone else that I just said is work ethic. Because if you, if you look at his work ethic over the years as a performer from Japan all the way to WCW and all the way to ACW and WWE, you just – have to take a look at his work ethic because yeah. that's a thing that matters in most performers. Yeah. Him and, and not too many yeah. guys today have that. I think him and Kurt Angle had it. Omega. I think I think him and Angle had the most him and Kurt Angle had the most work ethic. Kurt Angle had a lot of work ethic too. And yeah. and Benoit and Angle, I know how I said like, you know, he was better than most of the guys you just said, but him and Kurt Angle, I have a hard time dictating who's better because they're both so good at what they do. It's it's like you know, it's like trying to compare Kenna Kobashi, you know, to Mitsuharu Misawa. How do you do it, right? Like, like there's so many factors that you can put in, but like you- there's so many, dude. Like, I think between Bret Hart, you know, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, and even you can add Kurt Hennig too. The in terms of pure technical wrestlers, it's so hard to say who's the best one. Speaking of that, that would have been a good dream match, oh, six man yeah. Iron Man match, Bret Hart versus Kurt Angle. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like I said about a work ethic, that matters in most performers today, and not many wrestlers have that today. Besides maybe Kenny Omega, but like the thing about both Benoit and Angle, their best matches were with each other. No doubt. And yeah, that that is a rivalry I adore to this day. Like I still watch the best out of both guys. I still watch their matches all the time. I can't, you know, I can't get past it because I always watch an Angle and Benoit match and at the end I'm like man why can't people have the work ethic you know of these two guys Eddie Guerrero had it too actually oh, yeah. considering like oh. he put all of his heart into the gimmick he had lying cheating and stealing he was a genius when it when it came to situations like that in matches where like the chair shot Mr. Kennedy you also have the boot and you also have the title the title stuff in that tag team title match with him and Rey Mysterio versus I forgot I forgot their names, but like it it was in that tag team match. But literally, Eddie Guerrero dedicated himself to the world of professional wrestling, and he was very successful at that. He had he had the same work ethic. I, he he's up there with Benoit and Angle, and that's probably the top three best work ethics in WWE history. I mean, you could say John Cena's up there as well, but like there's so many guys. I probably uh, I probably put Taker up there in terms of devotion. In, in terms of character work, definitely, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, Taker's easily the greatest character of all time. But, I mean, yeah. the, there's so many hard workers that have been along. Even Bret Hart. You can even add Bret Hart, too. I thought Bret Hart was a Shawn total workhorse, too. Shawn Michaels, too. There, Shawn Michaels. There, there's so many. Uh, there's so many workhorses. Especially in the late 90s, there was a lot of workhorses. That, that's you when I found a, they all peaked. Yeah. You know who's an underrated worker? Who's that? The British Bulldog. You know what? He was. And it's too bad that it took this long to get him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But at least he's going in. Like, 
at least maybe six or seven years ago, it should have happened. Like, they waited this long to put him into the Hall of Fame, and it is well-deserved. You, you can look at all his matches with Bret Hart at Wembley Stadium and Owen Hart on Raw, but just, that's a little bit off-topic here. But anyway, he's up there as one of the most underrated workers of all time. He was an excellent worker, and if he could have stayed healthy through the late 90s, then he would have been a world champion easily, but his health issues got in the way. So that's what I saw in the British Bulldog. Like, a, a very excellent worker, in my opinion. Yeah, he could have easily been a top star into the mid-2000s because when he passed in, in 02, he was only 39. Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, he could have easily wrestled in the 2000s and been a top guy in WWE. Yeah. He easily could have been. Especially, he he had the in-ring cred. He had the character. He had the work ethic. It's just his body gave up on him too early. And um, I really think, honestly, Bulldog in the Attitude Era could have been a huge star had his body not given up. Because when he returned in 99, he wasn't the same guy. He was really banged up. He didn't look like the old Bulldog. And then, actually, he was preparing to make a return in 2002. He yeah. Was, he was getting ready to come back. And then that's where he uh, he passed. Same, same thing with Rick Rude. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was gearing up to make a return, and then he had a pass, too. I also thought Rick Rude was an excellent worker, too. Excellent. And was, yeah. underrated, underrated character as well, might I add. Yeah. I think the most underrated character of all time... It's Jake the Snake Roberts. And I'll tell you why. The, the the in-ring psychology that guy had, I think no one else has. He was so good at it, and I feel like it's lacking in today's wrestling. I really do like that he's managing Lance Archer, though. I think that's going to be freaking awesome. But you saw, him, you saw him a couple weeks ago on Dynamite cut yeah. a better promo than most WWE The 95% today. of the roster. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and that's... You know what? It's another thing. We have a few minutes left. It's another thing I wanted to talk about is promo work. A lot of guys today have a hard time cutting a promo. They really do. Like, whether it's an AEW or WWE. Like, a lot of guys have a hard time cutting a promo. And Yeah, because, you know, the the thing is in WWE where they heavily rely on scripted promos. They just write out lines for them. And that's not something that gets the best out of the performer. Because you're force-feeding them that stuff. And that doesn't do well for their character. But in AEW, you have these unscripted promos as well, but, like, some of them aren't doing really better as expected. But, like, but like that that's something that's missing in some characters today in wrestling is promo work. Yeah, I, and, yeah, I think a lot of guys don't need it. A lot of guys don't need scripts. A lot of guys just let them be what they are. You know, and the thing is in WWE, you have you have the creative they force guys to talk some some guys like aop let's say for example when they first came to the main roster they didn't have to speak in nxt they just had to do their thing in the ring and that's what some guys don't have to do yeah i i agree man and there's a lot of guys like on the main roster right now that i can look at and be like he doesn't need to talk and yet he's talking like alistair black he's not a bad talker at all but i don't think he needs to talk and no, he doesn't. same thing with Ricochet. I know Vince is like really cold on Ricochet right now, but Ricochet is Ricochet the strongest on the mic? Absolutely not. But no, if you, he, but that's if, the thing that's yeah. missing from him. He yeah. can't cut a promo. But if you want Ricochet to succeed, why why not just give him MVP? I feel I feel like an MVP and Ricochet tandem would be awesome. MVP yeah. could talk for him, you know, or even put MVP with Bobby Lashley. 
you know, like something like that. Like, because a lot of guys don't like, it's not that they don't like to cut promos. They just, they're not capable of cutting a promo. Well, why do you think they put Paul Heyman with Brock Lesnar all the way back in 2002? Because well, Brock like talks sometimes, but it's just maybe two or three words. That's it. But like the thing with managers, they still serve a purpose in wrestling today. They could talk for guys. And another example, Lance Archer doesn't need to talk. Jake, the snake can talk for him. And yep. that's what he's here to, and that's what he's there to do. Yep. And the, I don't know why they don't like managers for some reason, but I think they still serve a purpose. A big purpose. And they, especially because yeah. this is the weakest era of promo cutting in wrestling. It's the yeah, weakest. weakest by by far. far. Yeah, by far. Like the 80s and 90s and early 2000s are the best promos of all time. Even the 70s are very underrated too. But um, like this, since, since the 2010s, like. A lot of guys, and, and can I say another thing too, is charisma. A lot of guys are lacking charisma. Yeah. A lot of guys are lacking character. They're not going outside the box to create something new. Like I had a couple people argue with me and saying like, well, all the great characters have been taken. No, they haven't. You can be yourself as a character and get over. What do you think Austin did? What do you think Rock did? What do you think Mick Foley did? Like Mick Foley had other layers of characters, but it's just themselves with the volume cranked up to a hundred even randy orton even edge it's 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 who they are but the volume's cranked up to a hundred right and yeah. a lot of guys aren't themselves and that's and that's the big thing i notice it's like i i can tell by a guy when i look at him you know in the ring whether he's uh cutting a promo or whatever i can be like yeah that's not something they would do i'll give you an example not gonna harp on him look at seth rollins you're you, that's not seth rollins if no. you if you let Seth Rollins be himself, it would be so much better, and he would do a lot better. If you just let Seth Rollins be who he is, it it would work a lot better. Because I don't like he's shackled. He, you know, like even Roman Reigns. If you just let Roman Reigns be who he is, it would work so much better. But they they kind of want to. I don't know if they're doing it inadvertently or on purpose, but they're shackling everybody down. And they're creatively stifling everybody. The reason why we think guys like CM Punk are so great is because they are they're one of the very few people that were actually themselves. And they yeah. and they spoke about how they felt and they cut promos the way they wanted. And that's why we look at CM Punk now as probably the best promo guy of the modern era. It's because he was one of the very few that could get away with that and was allowed to speak as himself, whereas a lot of guys aren't these days. Yeah. Um can I tell you this right now in terms of promo and charisma? If Nick Bockwinkle was still alive today, he'd be the best promo. He could, he could probably still cut a better promo than ninety percent of the roster. I mean, not even not just WWE, but in every promotion. everywhere, yeah, yeah everywhere. Nick Bock, yeah, not Nick Bockwinkle was that guy yeah. who just he was a master at being a heel in AWA and NWA yeah. and all those territories back in the day and his feud with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, Paul Heyman I mean, would be his only competition. Yeah, the perfect example of character work and promo work was his feud with Dusty Rhodes yep. back in the day, AWA. That was I mean that was an incredible promo work type feud cuz like yep. another guy another guy who does good at promos and character was Dusty Rhodes, all right? Cuz like hard times. I mean, yeah, you see hard times. Like, that's one of the best promos of all time. So, like, I mean, there you go. That's the thing that's missing in most yeah. performers. Then Even Ric Flair. Yeah. 
And let's go back to the WrestleMania 20 main event, first of all, because, like, you also have guys like Shawn Michaels who are good at promos, right? Yep. And, and Triple H, yeah. And I thought, like, yeah, and Triple H, too. Okay. So, like, every every competitor in that every competitor in that match had something to do with, like, promo work because, like, mm-hmm. all of them were great. Not going to lie about that. But, like, but Benoit had everything. So, from the promo work to the in-ring stuff and just everything basically just the perfect career hey benoit was an underrated promo too that a lot of people don't give credit for yeah so, no one really talks about his promo work that yeah. much like a lot of people thought he sucked on the mic i don't think he was bad at all i really don't i, I have no issue with benoit on the mic and a lot of guys today i don't know like they just don't seem invested in being on the mic like you know there's very few good talkers now like i think I mean, obviously Jericho still won. Uh, MJF's working his way up. Um, Kevin Owens is a good talker. Um, but there's not many left that are, like, really good talkers. I mean, like, Sami Zayn's good, too, when he's allowed to be. Um, you know, but there's there's a lot of guys that really can't really cut a promo. I, can, I thought I thought Bret Hart was good at promos, too. I did, too. A lot of people thought he was, and I thought he was great. Yeah. I Especially his heel promos in 97. I thought those were fantastic. Actually, Owen Hart is another guy. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, all those guys. Because, like, you have, throughout the 90s, you would find so many guys who could talk, like, just on the microphone and stuff. And that was probably the golden era for promo work next to stuff that you see in AWA and NWA and all that and all those other territories. Because, like, even in WWE, you you have so many guys who who just, who are just, like, their own person. And if you let them be, they could do some spectacular things. Yeah, I agree, man. And like, you know, just before we wrap this up, because we got about two minutes left, I wanted to say that, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of guys today that could easily be all-time greats in this industry if they just had charisma. Like, yeah. like, like there's so many, man. Like, I, I, I got to give guys like Kevin Owens props because... Um, he can do anything they give him and he makes it work. He's like the CM Punk of, of today in terms of being able to be handed everything and whatever he has, he can make it absolutely work. Like Kevin Owens has single-handedly carried the Seth Rollins Messiah stable stuff to be passable. Which, yeah. you know, and Kev, that that's a Kevin Owens carry job. It really has been. You know, but Kevin Owens is so good at his job. Like I said, he makes anything work. And, you know, I really feel like Kevin Owens should be the top guy in WWE. I really do. How is he not WWE champion yet is my question. That, like, and it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. But he should be at the top of that company because he has absolutely everything you can want. Yeah. And everything. also, how has that match between him and Brock Lesnar not happened yet? Like, I've wanted that match for years, man. I've wanted that match okay. for years. Like, I'm still waiting on it. That's honestly what I would have done for WrestleMania this year was Owens and Lesnar. I would have done McIntyre and Lesnar last year instead of Rollins and Lesnar. I, I really wasn't keen on a Rollins and Lesnar match last year. Not really. And I wasn't. Especially the fact they started the show. Yeah, and it was a two-minute segment. It wasn't even yeah. a match, which I'm still disappointed at because for WrestleMania, you have Brock and you have your world title match go two minutes. Like, I, it's a little disappointing to me. Yeah, you know, but like I don't know, like and we'll talk about it a little bit off the air, but we gotta wrap this up because we're almost at the one hour mark. So I'd like to thank absolutely everyone 
for uh, for viewing the Sports Entertainment Spectator podcast with uh, King Dimitrik and Sammy Kalaf. Uh, leave any comments you want. If you have any uh, any requests for episodes, we will gladly consider those as well. And uh, also follow our Twitter accounts for a little bit more. Uh, I'll be launching my YouTube channel pretty soon. Hopefully, I can get a Chromebook going. And uh, Sammy's going to keep up too. And Sammy's uh, w- working his way up to about 2,000 followers now. He just hit the 1,000-something mark not too long ago. So we're going to keep him uh, getting up there as well. So uh, thank you for watching Sports Entertainment Spectator. And we'll see you very soon.